Well, good morning, everybody, as they make their way out. Man, David and Leah, thank you so much for that. That was incredible. We're going we're gonna to look back at that in just a minute. So, Anna, be ready. I'm going to ask you to go back to verse 1 in a little bit. But, um, man, you guys do such a great job. And I'm, Michelle, thank you for prodding David. It was worth it. <laughs> worth it. And I love the idea of us learning a song together in this kind of setting and, and really getting a chance to kind of, because what happens as we're doing that one where we're learning the melody, but we're getting to, to speak that theology over ourselves. And man, what a great way to, to worship this morning. Um, man, I, I'm excited about today. This week's passage is yet another one of those where James is not going to pull any punches, so just be ready for that. We're going to talk about some, some heavy stuff today. But again, I want to remind us that, that we're in this study to learn about true faith. And so for us today, as we are looking at the way that we speak about other people, the title of today is Speaking Well of One Another. Uh, I just want to remind us again, this is not a to-do list, that this is about us letting God work in our hearts to change who we are to become more like Him. You know, we've talked about this over and over, but as we grow, we grow as we walk in obedience to God, and then that is revealed to the world around us as we just do life, as we live Christ is revealed through us, and wow, how amazing that we just sang that together this morning. Um, James is going to make it really clear, really evident today in these next few verses, um, just how important all of that is. James is going to, um, to, as we dive in, he's going to take us on a kind of a journey. He's going to have us think about some things today that maybe we don't like to think about. We're going to have to kind of examine our own past for a moment, maybe think about some things we've said years ago, maybe this week, or maybe some things we've thought about saying, and maybe God will change that in us today. Um, but my hope for us today is that as the Holy Spirit is going to bring healing to some places where we've all experienced hurt. And hopefully the Holy Spirit will also, again, like we just talked about, change our hearts about some things. Um, as we've discussed previously in this study, words are incredibly impactful, right? James, earlier in, the, in this book, in this letter, talks about how a tiny rudder can move a huge ship. We're going to talk about those ideas again today, specifically about the words that we, that we choose to say. And I, as I was thinking about this, uh, this week, there's a lot of examples that came to mind of experiences in my life where somebody said something that brought a ton of joy to my life, who really encouraged me and made me feel good about who I was as a believer or as a person. But then there are just as many times where somebody said something that, that really cut me to the core, and, and it's things that I still think about to this day, and they still hurt. And those, have you had that before where it's like, that cut is buried deep and then all of a sudden something happens and it's like that cut's been torn open and you feel all those feelings again. And, and what do we do with that? How do, we, how do we deal with those things? My hope is that today God's going to bring some healing. And as, as we're kind of moving into this, I want to share a couple of stories with you this morning because those things are a big part of who we are. Whether it was good or whether it was bad, it, it has kind of created the person that we are. I know that I'm not alone in experiencing both those highs and those lows of other people's words because words are powerful. Um, and all of us are guilty of saying hurtful things at different times in our lives and we all have experienced being hurt by others as well. This week uh, I got a call from Gil Barco. That's, if you go to a gas pump and you get gas in this part of the country, most likely it's a Gil Barco dispenser. They're 
pretty recognizable, at least they are to me because I look at them every day. Um, but but th- our company is, is structured in such a way, or Gilbarco is structured in, some, in such a way that, that they have distributors all over the nation, and Petron is one of those. And so the way that works is they make the gas pumps, we order them, they ship us to us, and then we go install them, okay? And so I get a call from our representative, he's called a RAM, a regional area manager. Uh, each region has one. Ours covers... Uh, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, and parts of Texas. So he's got a pretty, pretty good-sized region. And like in Louisiana, there are six distributors for Gilbarco. Okay, so there's a lot across our state. So he calls me um, about this meeting that he got called to where they had all the regional managers and all the head honchos from Gilbarco in one meeting to discuss something that was not happening properly. If you've been to a gas station recently, you've probably seen that now they have TVs in the gas pump that play ads while you're, you may love it or hate it, regardless, they're there, okay? That's called Applause TV. And we put those in there. Anytime I quote a gas pump, I add those in there because there's some hardware that you have to have for credit card processing that that equipment also uses. And when you put Applause TV in, you sign an eight-year agreement saying, we'll let these ads play on our dispensers. And in exchange, they give you some of this really expensive hardware for free. So it's a no-brainer, right, that you would add that in for a customer because it's going to save them money, and the goal is to drive inside sales. You see, you know, you're pumping gas, and it's early in the morning, and you see a deal on a cup of coffee. You're like, man, okay, I'm going to go inside and get that cup of coffee. That's the whole point, okay? So everybody in the country, just like me, looks at that and goes, it's a no-brainer to put that equipment in there. Well, the problem is apparently a lot of people are ordering that equipment, but they're not installing it. They're ordering the equipment, they're getting the free stuff, but they're not actually making it where the ads play. And that's a problem because the way that hardware is getting paid for is the ad revenue coming off the screen. So if you're Applause TV and you're giving away this hardware and then people aren't displaying the ads, there's an issue, right? So they're having this nationwide meeting to discuss they're gonna, all these Rams are going to have to call their distributors and say, by golly, you better put this equipment in. And so my Ram calls me and he explains all this to me, explains the issue, and he said, now, the reason I'm calling is to say thank you. I said, for what? He said, you are the only distributor in my region that has installed these 100%, and they're all working. Okay, now that, that credit doesn't go to me, because I'm not the one installing it. I'm just selling the stuff. In fact, my guys hate it when I sell them, because they're a pain in the butt to install. They're very complicated, and every time we go to put in dispensers, they're like, is applause on there? I was like, yeah, of course it's on there. And they're like, oh, okay, fine. So, I got to be the bearer of good news. So I went to my boss and I went to their bosses and I went to them and I said, okay, guys, here's the deal. We got a call this week and I got to share that attaboy. I got to pat them on the back for a job well done. And, and I know for a fact that all of us in this room, there's nobody here that doesn't like to have somebody say to you, you did a good job, right? That feels good. It, it does something inside us. As I'm sharing this with these guys who are like wrench turners, like they're, you know, they're men's men. You could see them kind of, yeah, chest rising a little bit as I'm telling them how good a job they're doing. I like getting to say those kinds of things. And I like hearing those kinds of things. It made me puff up a little bit when my ram said, man, your company has made me look good. That's excellent. We all like those. On the other hand, We've all experienced the other side of those meetings. We've experienced moments at work or at home or with friends. Unfortunately, sometimes even at church where rather than being encouraged, we're put down. Sometimes those are just a bit of a sting and they can heal pretty quickly. Or sometimes they cut deep 
and it takes months or years or maybe you never really get over it. Maybe we were the ones that said the harsh things. This morning I was thinking about this and God reminded me of something that I said to a friend of mine years ago. The short part of this story is that this guy and I were friends growing up, and as often happens, our lives just went different directions. We didn't have a disagreement or anything like that. We just parted ways. Years went by, and we ran into each other in town, struck up a conversation, exchanged numbers, and we talked two or three times over the phone. Um, This was probably a decade ago, so a while has passed since then. And one day he called me, and I was busy, and I didn't answer, and I forgot to call him back. And then the next day he called me again, and I was busy then I forgot to answer. That went on three or four times. And when I finally did answer the phone, buddy, he lit into me. He told me everything I didn't want to hear and how horrible of a person I was. And guess how I responded? I went right back at him. And I tore into him and told him how I don't allow people to talk to me. And I felt really justified in getting mad at this guy, right? How dare he? He doesn't know my life. He doesn't know how busy I am. Do you know I've never talked to that guy again? I felt justified in my response. In reality, though, there was no benefit for me to do that other than me feeling better about myself. For me to flip that negativity back to him so that I didn't, because who was in the wrong there? This guy. I didn't return his phone call. And that's just something you're supposed to do, right? When somebody calls you, you call them back. Instead of making things better, I made them worse. As we think about those kinds of moments in our lives, we'll probably all see that there's a lot of emotion involved when we go into those kind of scenarios. When some come, someone comes at you at negativity, I don't know about you, but me, my, my fight instincts kind of come out like I'm ready to, to go to battle. That's what naturally happens inside of me. Today, this is what James is going to address in this passage. Look at this with me. This is James chapter 4. We're just going to do verses 11 and 12 today. James says, don't criticize one another brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? I want to remind us the context again of what James is writing to. Remember, we talked about this last week. We've talked about it many times before. He describes these quarrels that are happening in the church as war. And so within that context, James is writing to the church and saying, stop doing this. Stop criticizing one another. The first point I want to make today is how we view others reveals what we believe about ourselves and about God. In this passage, James makes several references to the law, and so I want to define that as we begin today. So quiz time, what did Jesus ask? We've talked about this a lot. What, 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 what did Jesus say when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Anybody want to answer out loud? Go ahead, Joshua. That's close. That's the second one. Which one came before? That was good for remembering that, though. We're fixing to go there. Well, love God, right? And love your neighbor yourself. Look at Matthew chapter 22 with me. He said to him, he said to him love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most, most important commandment. So second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. We've talked about this before. So Jesus is saying, if you love God and you love your neighbors, that covers all of the law. That's the goal, okay? 
Love God, love your neighbors yourself. So how do we show love for God? How does that come out of us? Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15. Again, another passage you're familiar with. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So the way, and we talk about this all the time, right, church? We're, we are a people that abide in Christ, and we do that by walking in obedience, by doing the things that he has called us to do. We show our love for God by doing what he tells us to do. In this passage, James keeps referring to the law, and it's Jesus' command to love one another and to love God that he's talking about. When he says the law, this is where he's pointing. I know that it may seem odd that you need to remind a church that they're to love God and to love others, but the way that they're treating one another was calling into question whether or not they actually loved one another. I've got some friends that have been married for almost two decades, and if I were to introduce you to them, if, if they were at my house and you came over and you spent a couple hours interacting with them, you would ask yourself, A, why are they married? And B, do they like each other? Okay? Because of the way they communicate with each other. Now, I've known them a long time and what I know to be true is that they do in fact love each other. They just communicate in a much more vibrant way. I'll say it that way than most people. And honestly, it's a little fun to stand back and watch, but I would not, it, it would not work well for me to be in a deep relationship with somebody. Now, I share that for two reasons. Number one, it is incredibly easy for us to form a judgment based on what we see from the outside. And secondly, what you see and hear may not always be what you think. James is saying in verse 11 not to criticize or to slander one another because it's not a loving action. One of my commentaries describes slander in this way. It says, slander is critical speech intended to inflame others against the person being criticized. It involves talking against people, perhaps attacking them behind their backs. In this instance, Christians were slandering Christians. Christians are brothers and sisters in Christ. For Christians to malign other believers is a living contradiction to the close family ties which should bind them together. By criticizing or slanting one another, we are doing the exact opposite of what Jesus has commanded for us to do. Church, I cannot tell you how many times I have heard church members talking incredibly cruelly about other church members over the course of my career. Happens way more often than any of us would like to admit. It's a plague that affects nearly every church if it is not dealt with. Today we're going to talk about the effect that that has on our church, on our relationship with God, and with the outside world. This kind of activity has the capacity to destroy not only the membership of the church, but the personal ministry of every person involved. Because when one of those links in the chain breaks apart, the whole thing falls apart. We've seen that happen in churches. It's on the news regularly. And I want to make a clarifying point here. There is a huge difference between slandering someone and addressing a problem that exists in the church. And I want to give you a couple of examples to make sure everybody's the same. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to read this little example and I want you to say whether it's slander or if it's for the good of church. Okay, you ready? All right. Martha Joe found out she is pregnant again. That girl already has four kids and she can't take care of them. That's slander. Okay, good. Good job, David. All right. Johnny's been leading a group for a while, and he's really good at it, but he is under so much stress at work lately. 
Let's ask him if he needs to take a break for just a minute. That's for the good of the church, right? You feel the difference? There's a, there's a, a different heart thing happening when we're slandering someone versus when we're just trying to address something that may be an issue in the church. There are times when things are happening in the life of the church where we need to discuss hard things. But there's a process for that. We're not going to get into that today. But what I want us to understand is that there is a mountain difference between slandering someone and dealing with an issue. Right? Like slander, like one of the most famous and popular ways of slandering someone is in prayer request. (laughs) Y'all felt that, didn't you? Okay. So it's good for us to ask ourselves when we are beginning to talk about someone to ask ourselves, why are we sharing that, and should we? The why and the how matter. If you catch yourself judging someone, you have to convince yourself that, or excuse me, if you catch yourself judging someone, you have convinced yourself that you are better and know better than that other person. Remember in this point I said that what we, how we view people tells us what we believe about ourselves? When we judge somebody, what we are effectively saying is that I am better and know better than this other person is. In church, that's a very bold thing to think. That is not the attitude of a follower of Christ. Jesus, as he's revealing to the disciples he's about to go and die, he says this. This is John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. And I gave us 31 through 33 just for some context. But he said, when he had left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. Look for me. And just as as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I'm going, you cannot come. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is Jesus' parting command. Just as I have loved you, love one another. It's by our love that we will be known as disciples of Christ. It is by our love that the world gets to see the glory of God. We just, we just sang about that this morning. We learned a new song together. When we judge a person, we are defaming that person. But more importantly, we are also defaming Jesus. We are claiming with our mouths that we are followers of Christ and with that same mouth doing the exact opposite of what he told us to do. Because I cannot slander someone and also love them. Look at verse 11 with me in James chapter 4. He says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So we just established that the law is to love God and to love others. And if we judge others, we fail at loving God and loving other people. I want us to to get that in our hearts today. That when we judge other people, it doesn't just affect my relationship with that person, but also my relationship with God. First, It fails because we are criticizing another based on what we think is right. In other words, we have established our own personal guidelines, our own personal law, if you will, for what we think is appropriate. 
And secondly, in doing so, we are effectively saying to God that his law isn't good enough, so we fixed it. And in my mind, I get those memes of the, you know, y'all seen those there, I fixed it, where they like put a wheel back on a car with some duct tape. That's what we are doing to God. We're saying your law wasn't good enough, so I add a little something to it and now it's better. That's quite a double whammy, right? To not only defame someone else, but to also defame God. James says that when we judge others, we are no longer obeying the law, but we are standing over the law as if we are better than it is. For some reason, we believe that because we know the law and we know God, that we should be able to automatically point out when everyone else does something wrong. Look at what my other commentary says. If Christians can easily come to the conclusion that we are free to show critical attitudes toward those who do wrong. The Bible warns us to leave this judgment with God. Only God has the, com- the competence to find and punish those who break his laws. Our calling is to respond in support of love rather than biting criticism. I don't know why this phenomenon exists in churches, but it does. And, and I'll be honest, I've found it in my own heart, and you probably have too. And, and it, it comes out the most in kids as they're turning into teenagers who have come to accept Christ and God begins to point out the sin in their life and, and then they feel like they need to point out the sins in everyone else's life as well, right? Have y'all experienced that before? Have you been that kid? I was that kid once. I remember telling my dad about his sin. That did not go well. I don't recommend it. And you may ask yourself, Will, what if I see somebody making a mistake? Should I just ignore it? Is that what James is telling us to do? No, absolutely not. Of course we should address it. But there's a right way and a wrong way. For me to stand up here and say, Saley is doing all of these things wrong and she needs to stop it, it's very different from me going to Saley and having a private conversation. Right? And we, we know that. But how often have we caught ourselves talking to someone else about this wrong thing that somebody else is doing? Whether it's in church context or outside of the church. Speaking publicly about how wrong someone is and declaring their missteps is a no-no. That's, James is saying, stop doing that. That's what's happening in the church. Point number two for today is that we are in no place to cast judgment on anyone. Look at verse 12 again. He says, there is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? When Jesus is warning his disciples about the persecution that they would be facing He made a statement that James is referencing here. This is out of Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said, don't fear those who kill the body and are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Church, the only person that we know that's able to judge someone else is God. That's it. He's the only one qualified. All of us except for God are sinners and in need of a Savior. We're all in the same boat. I I was thinking about it this way. Imagine for a moment that someone you know broke the law. Like there's no question about it at all. They broke the law. They deserve to be punished according to the law. Okay? And so when that happens, that person has to go stand before a judge and a jury, and they pronounce the judgment. But instead of waiting for that to happen, you bust in the courtroom and you declare to everybody how wrong they are and what you think their punishment ought to be, what's going to happen? Number one, everybody's going to think you're crazy. That's step one, okay? Step two is the judge is going to find you in contempt of court, and you also are going to have to go to court and face a judgment, and you're going to be penalized as well. 
Okay, that doesn't make sense, does it? Well, when we jump in and we judge people and tell them how wrong they are and how right we are, that's exactly what we're doing. We're jumping in a courtroom and say, hey, God, I know you think you got this, but I need to tell you just how wrong they are. And then that same judgment that they're receiving, we are now receiving as well. I know that sounds a bit crazy, but that's what James is addressing here. It's just as crazy for us to do this to people in life as it is in the courtroom. One of my commentaries says, yet when we criticize and condemn others, we're in fact pronouncing our own verdict over their spirituality and destiny. Have you ever thought about how incredibly bold it is to be able to go up to somebody and say, you're wrong and I'm going to tell you why? I've only done that like that blatantly a few times in my life and it never went over well, ever. Our pride does this to us. It tricks us into believing that we're not only right, but we have the moral high ground in the situation. And when we do that, when we judge others, we are putting ourselves in the same category that we are judging them for being in. You realize that? When we judge others, it doesn't matter what we're judging them for, we're throwing ourselves in the same pot that they're in, in the middle of sin. So what do we do? How do we move forward and avoid temptation to judge others? Look what Peter says in his letter when he's addressing the same issue that James is. And I think it's important to note, we've talked about this before, that this is not just a deal, something that James was addressing in one church. This is happening in all the churches. And, and I think it's worth pointing out that the reason it's happening is because what is the church full of? Sinners, right, who've come from the world. And it's normal, we didn't, I hadn't really said this, it's normal in the world to criticize other people. Like that's a part of everyday life. And so for us as believers, as we are growing in our true faith, one of the things that has to happen is God's got to kind of work that out of us. And this is what that process looks like. So Peter says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by the people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter's saying the first thing we got to do in order to avoid this temptation is we got to make a decision. We have to decide that we are going to do what God's called us to do and to love one another. And as we've seen today, that cannot take place at the same time as slander. So we may have to make a decision personally for ourselves. Am I going to continue to walk in the ways of the world, walk in the world's wisdom, or am I going to be obedient to what God's called me to do? I'm going to decide to love others, to see them as Jesus sees them, and to love them as Jesus loves them. And the second thing we've got to do is ask God to give us a desire for himself and his word. It's only by abiding in Christ, being made in his likeness as we obey, that we can overcome any temptation, especially this one. As we choose to love and to pursue God, our faith is going to grow, and our responses to others will reflect that of Jesus. That only happens as we grow and come more, become more and more like him. Think for a moment about how Jesus interacted with those that the religious world had already made judgments of. The woman of the, at the well comes to mind. Zacchaeus comes to mind. The woman who anoints Jesus' feet at the house of the Pharisee comes to mind. 
The world had already made judgments about the quality of those people. But how did Jesus respond to them? Did he condemn them? No, he loved them. And that's what we're called to do as well. As we've discussed already, our job is to represent Christ to a watching world, which means we respond to the people in our lives the way Jesus would have responded. And we cannot do that properly if we treat other people the same way the world treats them. We are different. It's in responding like Jesus that the world gets to see His glory and His love. Look what Peter finishes out in 11 and 12. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sensible desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. Now, I didn't do this intentionally. I ran across this passage from 1 Peter when I was studying this week. But I noticed a theme of the last three or four Sundays that we keep hearing these same words again in referencing our good works and the glory that God receives as we walk in obedience to him. It seems like God is saying the same thing over and over and over. That we are called to abide in him to do the things that he does. And the result of that is going to be fruit that is produced from the vine through us. That as we obey, as God works in us, the world is going to see that and God's going to get the credit for it, not, for, not us. The people that are going to see the goodness of God through your actions need to see that. I loved Mike's testimony about that this morning. People are going to know that you're Jesus' disciple because of your love for them and love for other people. Not because you pointed out where they were wrong, but because you love them even if they were wrong. I want to give you one last example today, and I'm going to make it quick. This week, um, I needed to upgrade the hard drive on my computer, which typically is a pretty simple thing to do, but because of the kind of hard drive, it wasn't as simple as you might think, and so I got our IT guy involved because I didn't want to mess it up, and so he and I were working on this together. I don't think he had ever done that process. Anyway, the computer died in the middle of cloning the hard drive, and I lost all my stuff saved to cloud, but all the software that I downloaded, like a half a terabyte worth of data that I was trying to move from one hard drive to another, went away. And so we spent four days rebuilding this computer. And I cannot tell you how many times someone came into my office when the IT guy wasn't there and was like, he screwed that thing up again. And I, when that happens, I have a decision to make about how I'm going to respond to that person. I can either be justified, feel justified in the frustration of what happened. Now, I know he didn't do anything wrong. I was sitting right there watching over his shoulder the whole time. Actually, he was watching over my shoulder as I clicked the button. So if anybody's fault, it's mine. But I can either encourage that kind of conversation or I can change the narrative. Now, this is a guy that God has told me to pour into to love well because he doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And so in that moment, I had a decision. or In those moments, I had decisions to make. I can allow this conversation to continue going the negative direction it's going or I can change the narrative. And because God has had me pouring into this guy, because I love him so much, my response every time was, no, he didn't do anything wrong. We were doing this together. Sometimes when you're working with stuff, it just breaks, right? And, and while it's frustrating that I lost four days worth of valuable work time, what I gained was four days of one-on-one -on -one conversations with this guy. And how I addressed that whole situation 
was going to determine the outcome of those four days. We were going to get the computer fixed. That's going to happen. It has to happen. But God gave me four days to spend one-on-one time with this guy, and I could have either used that to my benefit and to his benefit and to God's benefit, or I could have destroyed those moments by talking slanderously behind his back. And that's going to affect him. It's going to affect me. It's going to affect the Holy Spirit's work in that moment. I'm not saying that to say, look at me, I'm the hero. I'm saying that when times come up and you get frustrated, we need to be aware of what's happening in our hearts, and we need to ask the Holy Spirit to, t- to show us how to respond. I took the opportunity this week to change the narrative, to build somebody up instead of letting others tear him down. All of us are going to have opportunities like that. The only reason that I could speak well of this guy in the midst of my frustration is because what the Holy Spirit's been doing in my heart that whole week as I was spending time with him. God's made it clear for us, church, that he wants us to work in people's lives around us. And he's going to create opportunities for that to happen. And in the midst of what God's trying to do, the enemy's going to come in and try to flip that to the negative. And we need to be aware of what's going on and respond appropriately. God has given us a call to love others. We and the church are going to be known for our love or our lack thereof. We get to decide what kind of message, what kind of gospel we're going to share. Let's change the narrative. Let's love people well by speaking well of them. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for how much you love us and that even when we mess up, even when we make the wrong decisions, even when we say things that we shouldn't, that that doesn't change how you feel about us. God, I ask that you would give us the ability to have the same grace with other people as you have with us. God, that you would change our hearts, that you would speak into us and help us change the narrative when people begin to speak negatively. God, I ask that you would protect our hearts so that we wouldn't be the ones who start the negative speech. God, we know that all of this is going to be completely reliant on you to work in us. So, Father, as we, as we close out today, as we worship you, Lord, I ask that you would work in all of our hearts, that you would point out those moments where we have been the person who said the negative thing. God, that you would bring healing to that situation in our heart. Or, Father, if we've been hurt by somebody else, I ask that you would take this moment to allow us to release that, to let your peace flow into our lives so that we can know you better through that difficult circumstance. Father, be with us here this morning as we worship. In your name we pray.